Right to be read podcast, episode number thirty-two. Interview with Danny Inim. You are listening to the Right to Be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hello, everyone. It's Ani here, and I'm very excited to meet you again in this podcast. First of all, I would like to start the episode with a genuine appreciation message to all of you. I really, really appreciate your support. And I'm very excited about the fact that the podcast is growing, that I'm getting positive feedback from you, and that apparently its mission is being accomplished. The podcast really inspires and encourages many of you, and the, that bare fact just makes me extremely happy. So I'm I'm really really humble about this, and I really appreciate your help and support. And I know that it wouldn't happen without you. So you're part of this success, and I'm giving all this credit to you. Besides that, I would like to share a really big news today. So what happened after I launched my podcast was I was being approached by many many of you who were coming up with different questions and needed help with your books, with the self-publishing processes and needed some consulting around different topics. And I was and I'm still am very happy to help you out. So if you have any questions, just don't hesitate. Email me at ani at anialexander.com, ani at anialexander.com and I will do my best to help you out as much as I can. Besides that, I decided to open a coaching program for you. And in order to make sure that the quality of the program will stay high, I'm limiting this to 10 people only. And I won't go into the details of the program because I'll give you a link and you can check it out. But what I will say now is that with this program, you will not only get the encouragement and over the shoulder guidance but by the end of the one month program you will have a clear vision of what kind of book you want to write you will get practical publishing and marketing action plan customized just for you and you will have an author website where readers will be able to find you so basically what i will do is i will set up everything you need to have for the start of your exciting journey of becoming an author. So if you're interested, uh, just visit www.anialexander.com backslash get help. And you will have all the details, the testimonials, the procedure and everything you need to know. I will be very happy working with you. So once again, www.anialexander.com backslash get help. Okay, I spoke too much already, so let's get to the show. Today I have a special guest with whom we will talk about writing books and self-publishing. It's Danny Ini, who is so-called the Freddy Krueger of blogging. He's the proud founder of Firepole Marketing. He's also the author of the Amazon best-selling book Engagement from Scratch, The Naked Marketing Manifesto, and the Audience Business Masterclass. Welcome to Write to Be Read podcast, Danny. Annie, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. 
Thank you for coming over. So I usually start, I mean, especially with uh, the guests who are uh, quite popular and well-known, I start with the question of who was Danny before he became famous and popular? I'm the same guy, just more people know about him now. Okay, so you haven't changed much. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't I don't think so. Um, I mean, a lot of my brand is really about the fact that, you know, I am very transparent. I'm all cards on the table. And that's that's how I've always been. Um, and I like to think that, I mean, you know, it's not like I'm Tony Robbins. I'm not some giant superstar. But to the extent that people have gravitate towards and gravitated towards an interest in my message, it's because they appreciate and resonate with the the naturalness that with which I share what I have to say. Oh, I see. So I know that in in relatively short period of time, you created quite a big audience of fans and you did it more or less from scratch. What inspired you and kept you going? Because it's something which is not easy to do. So what, what kept you moving forward and not giving up and, and getting to where you are now? Um, that's a really interesting question. I never thought about it quite that way because to me, giving up is not, Like, I never really considered it as a viable option. It's like, of course you go forward, and of course you try things, and some of them are not going to work, and sometimes that's discouraging, but of course you keep on going, because eventually things will work. Um, I, I read once, and I think this was in uh, Randy Posh's The Last Lecture. Um, he talks about, you know, to me this was a very clear articulation of an entrepreneurial mindset, though he didn't, uh, he didn't like, this. he wasn't writing about entrepreneurship or anything. But he said that, you know, when you're, driving down a path and there's a wall in the middle of the road, um, for some people, they see it as a reason not to continue. It's an obstacle. It's what's stopping you. Mm-hmm. Other people see it as an opportunity to show how much they want to get over that wall. So, you know, some people see it as, you know, this is what's blocking you. This is what's stopping you. Um, my attitude is really, you know, when things get in the way, when, when things detour and distract us, it's, I just see it as, you know, okay, these are things I have to take into account when going after the things I want. Okay, I see. So you didn't have this illusion which many people have usually that things will be smooth and easy and they get discouraged from the very first obstacle because you were ready to those obstacles, right? Uh, well, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur for a very long time. I quit school when I was 15 to start my first business. So um, at this point, um, that's 16 years ago. So I guess I've, you know, I, I bumped into enough things not working out for me uh-huh. um, exactly the way I wanted early on enough that I just take it for granted now. Okay. And your book, uh, Engagement from Scratch, as far as I know, it uh, covers uh, the tips and the, uh, from your first-hand experience of how to build this audience, right? You, you, you share uh, all your expertise there. Uh, well, it's a compilation work. So when I wrote and assembled Engagement from Scratch, um, I, had good, I had clear ideas, I think good ideas, on how to build an engaged audience from scratch. But I wasn't the expert by any means. I still had a lot to learn. And so rather than trying to pretend I knew something that I didn't know as well as I would have liked to yet, what I did was reach out to a lot of the leading experts in the field and I asked them to contribute a chapter. So there are a few chapters there about my experience and my story and then another 30 chapters presented um, by other people who've achieved their own great success sharing what they did and what contributed to their getting to where they are now. And was it difficult to get those people to write for you? Um, not as hard as you might think. It was, it was difficult to get the first few big names, 
Um, and that really requires, you know, Guy Kawasaki contributed to the book and Mitch Joel contributed to the book and Brian Clark contributed to the book. And there's an extenuating story with all of them. You know, with Guy Kawasaki, I had um, done a lot of work to help promote his previous book um, when it had come out, um, Enchantment at the time. With Brian Clark, I had done a lot of writing for Copyblogger. Um, I had connected with Mitch Joel at a local networking event because we both uh, live in Montreal, but I mean, he's mostly just a super nice guy. Um, but they were all, you know, it's not like they owed me. Nobody owed me anything. Um, but I had earned enough for them to at least, you know, pay attention and listen to what I was offering. And since I made it very easy for them, they very generously accepted and, and were willing to participate. But once I had a few big-name players on board, you know, for everyone else, it was easy because it was no longer, hey, would you like to contribute a chapter to my book? It was a question of, hey, would you like to be in a book with Guy Kawasaki and Brian Clark and Mitch Joel? And uh -huh. everyone says yes to that. Uh -huh, I see. Yeah, very, very interesting strategy. And uh, I, I guess, yes, after a few names, it, it works itself because many would love to be in the same book with Guy Kawasaki and the other big names. Well, it's also very much, you've got to consider, like, what was the strategy in writing this book? This was an audience-building activity for me. I wanted more people to be exposed to it. And I had not a huge audience at the time. And so I knew I wasn't going to make it a huge success all on my own. So I was counting on my co-authors helping me to spread the word. Now, for someone like Guy Kawasaki, who's huge, I mean, you know, he was doing me a favor just by contributing a chapter. And I'm very grateful to him for doing that. He doesn't care that he's in my book. He's in, you know, 100 books every year. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal to him. But it's the other people who are not quite at that level, but were doing well and growing, that they were really excited to tell everyone, hey, I'm in this book with Guy Kawasaki. And so they're the ones who did a lot to spread the word. If I was trying to get a lot of you know, top-tier players, it might be an impressive book, but nobody would spread the word because none of them would care. Mm -hmm, I see. So can we say that this book itself is part of your strategy of building and enlarging your audience? Absolutely. Okay, I see. And uh, I was a bit confused, to be honest. I saw the book on Amazon and I saw its ratings and I know that it's selling pretty well. But at the same time, I saw it for free on your website. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what's the reason for that, for giving it out for free as well? And how come if it's available for free, it's also selling pretty well on Amazon? Absolutely. That's a great question. I get asked a lot. People want to know, you know, how can you justify that? And aren't you cannibalizing book sales? There are actually a few reasons. So the first question people ask is, aren't you cannibalizing book sales? You know, isn't someone going to download for free and then not buy your book? And so the answer is actually no. Because for every person who's ready to buy my book, there are probably 10 or 20 of them who will download it for free. Mm -hmm. Now, some of them are not going to then go and buy the book, but there are enough other people who are going to see the book, they download it, they start reading it, they like it, and they decide, you know what, I don't want to read 240 pages on my laptop. I want it on my Kindle or I want it in the paperback. And they go and buy the book. Mm -hmm. And so at the very least, I break even on sales. Like I don't lose sales. I maybe even make more sales than I would otherwise. But much more importantly, the relationship that I have with the reader of the book that I can build when they download it for free because they give me their name and email address so I can send it to them is a lot more valuable to me than the you know $3 or whatever it is that I'll make selling the book on Amazon. If they download it for free, then I can build a relationship with them and a lot of them end up becoming my customers. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what really has driven my business. And even strictly on the book sales standpoint, if they've downloaded the book for free, then I can email them a week later and say, hey, did you like it? If you did, would you mind leaving me a review on Amazon? And that's why I have so many reviews. And that helps to push the book to do better on the rankings as well. Mm-hmm, I see. Well, you answered my second, uh, my upcoming question because I was going to ask you, you know, you have 210 reviews at this stage for this book. How did you manage to get so many? So is this the only review getting uh, strategy you're using or you're doing something yep, else? That's for, all I did. That's all, all you did? did was give a lot of people the opportunity to see the book and ask them if they liked it to write a review. Okay, I see. And maybe that's also the reason that it's, I mean, you're getting only good reviews? Uh, well, there are some negative reviews, just like any other book. Um, yeah, but majority is, is like, you know, you have a vague majority of, of, of really good reviews. So, I mean, the other ones are not even that visible to me. I mean, at, at first glance, at least, you know. Well, I'd, I'd like to think that I have the vast majority of good reviews because it's a, it's a good book. <laughs> um. But I mean, I don't, like, I never say, like, to be, I should elaborate, right? Because I just said now, just, you know, glibly, you know, if you like it, could you leave a review? But what I actually write in the emails is, I'd really appreciate an honest review. Okay. So I don't tell them if you don't, if you don't like it, don't write me a review. Um, or actually, no, what I do tell them is if you like it, I'd love a review. If you don't like it, I'd love if you could tell me why, like reply to this email and tell me why so I could learn and try to make it better. Okay, maybe that's the reason that, you know, they, they've, I mean, this kind of uh, message, you know, makes people more inclined to reply to you rather than leave some critique on, on the Amazon page, I guess. Well, I don't think that's really it, because the truth is that if they downloaded it and they're engaged and responsive to me, it's because they like the book. Like those emails don't make a big difference if they didn't like the book to begin with. Um You know, authors often overlook, they think it's all about gaming the system and stuff, but if you want to get reviews, you've got to write a good book. And Mm -hmm. yes, you have to do more than that, right? The reviews aren't going to write themselves. You do have to remind people and prompt people to write reviews, but that only works if it's a good book. It's a book that people want to write reviews on. Mm -hmm. And how did you come with the idea of writing this book? Well, I was, it was very much a strategic move on my part. I mean, I, this is not the book that I wanted to write since I was a kid. I don't actually like compilation books. I don't like books that have a chapter from 30 different authors usually, because I find them to be very shallow and they don't go into a lot of depth. And maybe that's why this book came out pretty good, because I had that bias and I really didn't want it to be like that. Um, but at the time, I was looking to build my audience. I wanted to create something that people would respond well to. And I looked around and asked the question, you know, what are the questions that entrepreneurs, my target audience, are asking that they want solved? And the big question that I was seeing was, you know, because at the time people were talking, talking about audience engagement, but it always presupposed you had an audience. You know, if you're Coca-Cola, here's how you engage your audience. Mm-hmm. And the question that nobody seemed to be answering was, well, what if you're just getting started? What if your audience is just you and your other email address? Then, you know, how do you start? And so I really set out to create this book because I knew that this is the question that people wanted answered. And I mean, there's an important lesson here for for our listeners, right? I mean, if you want people to like your book and support it, then write the book that they want to read. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you shouldn't write write for yourself. You should write for your audience. So if well, I mean, you can write for yourself. It's totally fine to do that. But then don't be surprised. Like, it's okay to do that as a hobby. But if you want people to read this book and 
you know, you want it to turn into something, then yeah, you've got to write what people want. Yeah, absolutely. So also, I I was uh, talking with several people about the fact that I was going to interview you, and they were really excited about, you know, oh, how did you get Danini coming to your show, and things like that. So uh, some uh, mentioned uh, something which I never noticed before, but since it was mentioned, I would like to raise this up. They said that some of the audience building tips that um, that you usually communicate are quite time consuming and if someone has a full-time job and is writing in his spare time etc he might not have enough time to kind of do it in a profound way is this the case because I'm, I mean I personally don't know that's why I'm asking. Um, it's somewhat the case so I think there are a lot of writers who have um, very unreasonable expectations around how much work is going to be involved in marketing and promoting their book. They think that, you know, writing the book is the bulk, it's the core, and then they've got to find some, you know, quick strategies or tactics to get the word out there. And the reality mm-hmm. is that, you know, marketing your book, building an audience, it's as much work or more than writing the book. And if you don't have the time and willingness to do that, then no, you're probably not going to get read by a lot of people. I mean, it's harsh to say it, but it's the reality. Um, you know, if you want to just write as a hobby on the weekends um, and, you know, self-publish through CreateSpace or whatever, so you say you've been published, you can do that and that's fine. But if you actually want a lot of people to read this book, you've got to take it as a serious pursuit. And the stuff that I teach is not time-consuming to the point of being prohibitive. Mm -hmm. Um, You can certainly do it. Um, You know, 10 to 20 hours a week is kind of what it's going to take. And that's a reasonable amount of time to put in on an ongoing basis. It's not like you need to do 10 things that each take 10 hours a week. You do one thing that takes 10 hours a week for a while, and then you switch to something else. Mm -hmm. But if you're not willing to put 10 to 20 hours a week into marketing your book, then you might want to reassess your expectations around, you know, is this book realistically going to get marketed? Uh huh. I see. Yeah. So it's very important to have realistic expectations and to know how much they are willing to to commit and to do uh, in order to get where they want to get. So that's that's an important mm-hmm. point as well. I, mean, I know a lot of people who've been very successful um, selling all kinds of things online and particularly selling books online. And they've done it in a lot of different ways. I don't know anyone who's achieved significant success just working, you know, a few hours on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I also think that, you know, it takes a lot of time and uh, a lot of effort and commitment. And it's just about priorities. You know, it, it has to be priority number one at that point in order to you get to what needs to be done. So since we, we briefly mentioned expectations and unjustified expectations, these days making money online has become a very popular hot topic. And at the same time, there are many myths connected to that and people think that okay you know if they just write a book and put it on kindle and they they will become millionaires in in several nights and apparently that's not the case but do you think that it is possible and realistic for writers to make full-time income online yes absolutely and i say that because i know people who have done it but you've got to take a full-time and more than full-time work ethic to your writing like, if you want to write your novel, if you see, uh, you know what, I talked to, just recently I had a conversation with my friend Sean Platt, mm-hmm. um, 
and he's you know he's very successful writing fiction online. That's what he does full time. Yes. Um, he recently had the third most funded Kickstarter project for fiction ever. Um, the fiction unboxed. Yeah, the fiction unboxed. Uh-huh. That's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. Um, and he articulated very well. He said that too many writers see getting published. And getting a published is like a, a catch-all for you know making money, getting traction, whatever. They see it as an event mm-hmm. rather than as a pursuit. They think it's something that happens at a point in time, and then you're set. And that's not the case. You know, you don't write your novel and then get discovered, and the magic happens. It's that you, if you're a writer, if you're an author, if that is your profession, if that is your career, you don't write a few hours here, a few hours there, until a couple of years later you finish your novel, then you strike it rich. It doesn't work that way. You put in a consistent amount of hours every day, every week, till you finish your book. And when you finish your book, the next day you start a new book and you keep on writing. That's what serious, successful writers do. That's what serious, successful professionals do. So, yes, you absolutely can. But, I mean, you know, Sean, like, literally, he just finished this fiction unbox project. Mm-hmm. He spent a month working on this project. The next day they started working on the next book. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of work ethic you've got to bring to it. And also, do you think that uh, while writing the book, they should already have a plan in place for marketing that book once it's out? My approach is, has, is and has always been that you actually want to think about the marketing before you write the book. You want to build the audience before you write the book. You don't want to write the book and then think, how am I going to market it? You want to build the audience so that when you finish the book, you've got thousands of people who are ready and waiting and eager to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you also create anticipation with this uh, audience who, who will be waiting for the book to come out as well. Well, another thing which I wanted to ask you, well, you've got to the point that your audience is so large that most probably you don't have the time to reply to everyone personally. So what do you do in order to not let people feel uh, left out or, you know, what, what's your approach of uh, keeping them engaged and, you know, keeping this personal touch although you don't have the time to personally approach everyone separately well the answer is that as we've grown I mean, when i was just starting out it was just me and megan was helping out and i was answering all my emails and that's great and since then we've grown a lot i mean at the time you know if you look at where we were in 2011 middle of 2011 i had 500 subscribers i could easily answer every question every email every comment mm-hmm. today we have about 30,000 subscribers And we have a set of products that we sell and we're involved in a whole bunch of initiatives, but it's also not just me anymore. There are 10 people who work for me to do what we're doing. And a personal direct response from a real person is in the context of my business and our values, it's very important. But that doesn't mean it has to come from me. There are people within my organization who are deputized, who have the authority to speak for us, to share ideas on my behalf. And that's not That doesn't mean they're replying pretending to be me. Nobody does that. If you get an email from Danny Eaney, if you reply to an email from Danny Eaney, it's going to go to Danny Eaney's private mailbox, and I will answer you privately. But you can ask questions. For example, every morning we publish a Q&A email. We answer a question about online marketing or online business, and it's Sid who writes and publishes those emails. And we have between 50 and 200 people reply to those emails every day, and those, those replies go to Sid, and Sid will answer all of those questions. We have um, currently about uh, 2,000 students in our training programs, and those questions go to one of our student support specialists who are there to help our students. 
and we'll answer their questions. So you can maintain a personalized touch without it necessarily having to be you answering all of those emails over a certain scale. Oh, I mean, if you okay. look at Zappos, you know, Zappos is the shoe company, mm-hmm. and they pride themselves on amazing, engaged customer service. You can call up the Zappos help desk, and you can expect to get good support. That doesn't mean you need to expect that Tony Shea, the CEO, is going to answer your call. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, now you have 30,000 uh, people who have gathered around Firepole Marketing. So what is the one common thing that unites them all? Is it your brand or is it an idea around which they gathered? What unites those, uh, those people together? Well, it's a combination of things. They've all come together, first of all, around a need. They all have a need to get better at online business, to learn to build an audience, promote their products, their services, their ideas, build a following, do the things that we teach. They've also come together around a set of values that we share. We believe in transparency. We believe in honesty. We believe in telling the truth when you've made a mistake. We believe in caring about your customers. And the people who come to us have connected and resonated with those ideas and values. So it's a combination of things. Mm-hmm. If we go back to the books again, which have been the most effective book marketing tactics that you've used for your books so far? Um, honestly, just giving it away for free. And giving it away for free at every opportunity. I'm happy any time to tell people, as as our listeners here should know, you know, if you go to firepolemarketing.com, then you can join our community and get access to a ton of free content, including my book. And it's all free. There's no registration fee, nothing like that. You just opt in, join us. You can be a part of what we're doing, and you get access to a ton of great stuff in the process. Um, just putting that out there as much as possible. Okay, so it's just giving out the books for free and also most probably, I guess, the attitude of and the importance of helping people. Because, I mean, uh, I think when pe- when someone does this for uh, money, uh, people can feel it somehow. So it's, you know, uh, I, I'm sure that this transparency and the, the desire to help people is something which also kind of uh, is uh, one of the keys to success, maybe. Well, absolutely. I think so. I mean, it's it's kind of driven a lot of what we do. Okay. And now what inspires you most? I mean, what what is the main idea or what, what's, what's the main goal or where you want to be that keeps you moving forward? Well, I believe that business can be a lot better than it is today. Um, and I'm very excited and passionate about what we've done and what we've built. But I, f- I think that in the big picture, this is just, you know, just scratching the surface of the change and impact that can be made. So I'm, I'm inspired by what is possible for us to do and create if we buckle down and work hard and, uh, and don't get discouraged by that occasional wall that's right in the road. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see. And uh, maybe the last question, what will be your advice to the newbie writers who are just starting, who have this big desire to follow their passion, but also uh, parallel to that have uh, life happening. So they have, uh, you know, all the other obligations uh, aside. Um, I guess I'd say that it's it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, it's not about can you buckle down and ignore everyone and everything else in your life for a month to finish your book. It's about can you carve out a dedicated amount of time every day and every week that you can be consistent with and keep writing 
on an ongoing basis for as long as it takes. And it might take a long time. It might take years. But it's not about how long it takes. It's about where that ends up bringing you. And if you find the process to be valuable and engaging and rewarding, then you're going to be enjoying that process. and You're going to be happy when you get to where you want to go if you're persistent and you keep on going. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for the interview, Danny. It was really inspiring. I'm sure that uh, the listeners got many useful things out of this. And uh, thank you once again for coming over. Annie, it's completely my pleasure. I'm grateful that you invited me to be on the show. I'm grateful to everyone who's dedicated time out of their very busy days to hear what we have to say. Um, I hope this has been valuable. I would really encourage everyone who's listening to this to get my book. It's free on my website, firepolmarketing.com, or, you know, search it on Amazon. Buy it there if you prefer. Um, and if you have any questions about anything that you've heard today, um, you can email me directly, Danny, D-A-N-N-Y, at firepolmarketing.com. It's my private email address, and I answer all of my emails within 24 hours. Oh, great. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you once again, and have a nice day. Well, that was it. As always, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Please come back to me with feedback. Tell me what you liked. Tell me what you don't like in the podcast. I'm open to critique. Just email me at annie, A-N-I, at anniealexander.com and let me know what you think and what you would like to change or add or um, if nothing, just, you know, tell me how much you like me. It also makes my day and makes me happy. So I would also like to remind you that since you're part of the show, I'm interviewing you as well. So I'm going to have a listeners interview series, which I already started with the episode number 31. And I will continue those. So if you think that you have an interesting story to share and you would like to be on the show and you would like me to interview you, just drop me an email and explain why you think that you should be interviewed and not anyone else. Take care, have a nice day and just, you know, go and write. That's what writers do. <laughs>